Thank you for joining the podcast. I do realize there are so many options available and the fact that you chose to listen to this podcast means a lot to me. My name is Sharon Feckety. I am the host of the Dr. Whisperer Show. I am also the founder of the Dr. Whisperer. So basically, I am the Dr. Whisperer. We are going to navigate through the business of medicine together. We're going to feature some doctors, some healthcare attorneys, some patients, some practice managers, people that will help you navigate through this industry. So thanks for joining us. If you are enjoying the podcast and you think somebody else could benefit from it, share it with them or write a review or both. Thanks again. 2021, we're coming for you and we're going to get through this together. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the show. I'm so happy um, to have my dear friend, Laferne Beatty, here with me today. But Laferne is way more than just my friend. She is the CEO of the Beatty Group. She is a leadership consultant, a business strategist, a keynote speaker, a corporate trainer. And today we are going to talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion and training is needed. So I'm really happy that you're here today. We did not plan this beautifully color coordinated event we are having together, but I just think it's because we've been friends so long. So welcome to the show, Laferne. Oh, thank you so much, Sharon. I'm thrilled to be here with you. Good to see you. Always good to see you. So will you give us um, just a little background? I I mean, I know that there is a a critical need for organizations to create a diverse and inclusive culture Mm -hmm. um, where everyone can thrive. I know this. I talk about it with clients of mine. And I do think that there has been less of a, uh, a necessity to have this training until maybe 2020 hit. But I still think that if you um, are a leader in any organization and you are not including this type of sensitivity training, um, you will not have a thriving company. Just my opinion. Lafer, what do you have to say to that? You know, Sharon, it's interesting because one of I think the most surprising responses leaders get from me when we talk about or when they inquire about diversity, equity, and inclusion training. And, you know, depending on the organization, mix up the words, switch up the acronyms, but we all know what it means. My contention is that as a leader, if you are trying to build the most effective, efficient, and profitable organization, then diversity, equity, and inclusion won't be a training that you give, and training is skills-based, but it will be culturally rooted in your organization, and it will be educationally focused. So from an educational perspective, believing that everyone has the capacity to do whatever it takes to welcome different perspectives, thus diversity, to have in equitable environment where access to opportunities are the same based on competency, based on merit. And inclusion means I value what everyone naturally brings to the organization. Now, if you are an effective leader, that's not an initiative. 
That's how you lead, it's how you live, it's how you learn, and it's how you teach others around you. And so I went sometimes, I get it, I get it, when I hear about the initiative or the training, and I'm like, well, what about the mindset? What about the practices? What about beliefs? What about behaviors? Because that's where you really begin to see organizations make significant shifts. So the example I give is, do you have marketing training for specific areas or is marketing critical to the business? Do you have financial training? Yeah, you might have some courses to give insight, but performing financially with excellence, it's just a part of the way you do business. Well, the same thing holds true for how you engage others in your organization, how you serve the clients you have, and then how that manifests in the way you do business, period. And so when I look at it, it's, it's a mindset. It is an imperative. Uh, and there are a lot of things, and we'll talk about even my, I, I, you know, I, I really shudder when I think about how people even use the word diversity. I believe in having open, candid conversations where we talk about what we want to talk about. If you mean Black people or African-American, say it. In women, say it. If you mean um, the Latinx community, say it. But let's not hide behind broad descriptors that make it more comfortable for us to have uncomfortable conversations. Yeah. You know, uh, you know, me, you know, me, I like nothing more than a, a friendly, candid conversation. And I think that you're right. I have watched, uh, I have watched many uh, of my fellow white community um, say, well, let's talk about the black people conversation, Sharon. What? So we don't, well, number one, we don't have to whisper. Right. No. It doesn't have to be whispered. It doesn't. I hate it. Fern, we don't have to whisper. No. It's just, really. Um, And I think that, you know, being somebody in the the medical industry, it is very rare um, when I'm working with clients that it's ever brought up to me that we're going to invoke this training. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to have this conversation with you. It is very obviously not just the medical community. It is, it is corporations across the world. And um, you and I were talking before we started about our, our friend in our head, uh, Brene Brown. Pretty yeah. sure that we, I'm good friends with her. How about you? Yeah, I, at dinner. Couple Besties. Of days. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. And I have listened to so many wonderful um, authors and speakers and change makers on her podcast on her. Um, she has two of them dare to lead and oh my God, what's the other one? Unlocking us. Yes. Every Wednesday is unlocking us and every Monday is dare to lead. Just in case you're wondering, this isn't the only <laughs> podcast I need you all to listen to, but really to have these clear candid conversations, you know, it, it's the same way Laferne that I feel about mental health I think that if you say, uh, let's do a panel about mental wellness, I, I say, I dare you to have one about mental health and mental illness. 
Mm. Right. Let's call it what it really is because right. Right. Until we are ready to nor if we want to normalize anything, we have to be brave enough to have the hard conversations. Absolutely. And I like the way you put that, Sharon. Sometimes we want to change the language around what's difficult to talk about so that it will make it more uncomfortable. And I even see it, you know, if I'm talking with colleagues who tend to take a a softer, um, less direct approach, nothing wrong with that, if that's your style, who might say, you know, Laferne, maybe if you didn't come at it so directly, yeah, I've heard it, Mm -hmm. but who does that serve? There are some people who are willing to engage and to have conversations around differences and the difference between uh, having a sensitivity or an awareness about who another person is or another culture or another life experience versus sitting in a place of being a student. You know what? I'm going to stop telling you what I think, and I'm simply going to sit back and learn. And there's something different about having uh, gone to school with a Black person, having Black friends, and I won't throw up air quotes because there are some things I really dislike. I'm trying to not use the word hate much, but it really (laughs) bubbles up in my spirit when I hear it. But when we say we have friends, but to me, and this is my definition of a friend, a friend is somebody who knows my inner world, who knows something about my family, who sits in a space with me, um, even Uh, one-on-one. It's not this phrase, this word that's been put on, label that's been put on relationships that really isn't friendship. And so when I want to talk about some of the hard topics, especially in organizations where um, 99.9% of the time there are people I don't know and have never met, it's important for me to be able to use really direct language with respect, understanding that everyone is at a different place on his or her journey, but let's just talk about the hard conversations. And I want to be, for the clients I serve, I want to be that space where they can be open and not feel judged and also the person who will ask the hard questions to get them to at least explore their thoughts and practices differently. So it's important that we have really clear, candid conversations. I agree. And I really do think it, it does take a lot of uh, bravery. It takes a lot of courage yes. to, um, to say, you know what, I've made some mistakes um, and I really, I need to learn more. Mm-hmm. So I need to ask the right questions and I need to not ask them to maybe appear that would look like me. Right. Right. You know, I, I had an interesting conversation not too long ago after the, um, that one, <laughs> I can't even say wonderful, that horrific incident at the Capitol. Yes. And um, as soon as I say that word now, my back goes up. Like it just happened. I was like, ooh, yeah. <laughs> ooh. It's, it's, it's a tough one. So I was having a, a conversation with um, somebody that is close to me. 
mm-hmm. and I listen. I always listen, right? Laferne, you're a great active listener. You know, if we are ever going to ch- make any kind of change, we right. need to be sure that we allow somebody else to express how they feel, their opinions. But dare I say that when we are having conversations about things such as Black Lives Matter, right. that we actually need to have a Black man or woman in the room, if you want to really understand what it's like. If right. you really want to know, um, having that conversation with the same group of friends or colleagues that you have always had is really, it's going to be very difficult to move that needle. Exactly. And I appreciate that. You know what, Sharon, it's funny you say that because a couple of weeks ago, I don't even know if it's been a couple of weeks. I like to have honest conversations about decisions that people make or about incidents that are going on. And I might not even share my perspective. Sometimes I do, but sometimes I don't. And so Of course, if we go to uh, what I consider the terrorist event on January 6th. That's a better word, terrorist. Yes, thank you. It was a a terrorist event. Mm -hmm. And um, when I talked about, when I was reading about it, there was something that bothered me a couple of weeks afterward. And something that I know, having grown up in a household where my mother in her mid eighties is still a community activist Mm -hmm. is you can't have a movement of any type without a volume of people, a certain volume of people. It might start off small, but to become a significant movement, you need a significant number of people to follow and you also need money. Mm -hmm. And so when I read the article and this was not my first introduction to this piece, but when I read the article about the public's heiress who funded the rally that was held prior to the terrorist event and that she funded it significantly, that bothered me personally. So I believe that we all, have options about how we spend our money. Economics run this world. Economics run the world. Mm -hmm. And so I can have an opinion and, 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 and disruptive economics change the world. Yes. And so when I saw it and I thought, okay, look, I, I, it is the closest market to me. It, it is, a place where I have colleagues who are employed, I understand it. And people need to understand how they spend their money. I doubt that any person would reasonably expect that if I were Jewish, supporting a, putting my money into something that directly affected my oppression via a Nazi, no one would question whether or not that made sense. They would say, that's ridiculous. Why would you fund your oppression? And so from many people's perspectives, that's how they view it. And so I understand, I know the company put out a statement and said, she's not an employee here. She's not involved in day-to-day operations. I get it, but let's rewind to Chick-fil-A. 
when the founder CEO made a statement of his own opinion, mm-hmm. there was an uprising behind what Chick-fil-A represented because he is a face of Chick-fil-A and benefits significantly from how the company profits. So when I talk with leaders, I often say, be mindful of how your personal preferences, whether they show up in what you profess or what you practice. Hey, quick interruption on this amazing podcast, but we have to tell you about our awesome sponsor, Thai Technology. They are so cool and they're here in Tampa Bay, if you're a Tampa Bay listener. Thai Technology is the best voice over IP business phone service company out there. How do I know this? I used to work in telecom before I work with doctors. That's right. So I know me a good phone system when I see it. Plus, they are integrated with Zoom. They are the only ones that are integrated with Zoom. And if you mention this podcast or you mention the Facebook show, they're going to hook you up with three months for free. Follow them on Facebook. And on Instagram, Thai Technology Rocks. Be mindful of the choice, the free choice you have to make and the real consequences that those choices have. And that's a huge issue. issue. So when that conversation, when I posted and I said, don't get caught up in not an employee and not running operations. The question is, Does my money going into that company fill her coffers? That's all I want to know because what I'm not going to do is fund my own oppression. Mm. And there was a a lady who came on and she commented, great, I love it. I'll be sure to shop there more regularly. I got it. Now, let me just tell you, my nature was fully locked, loaded and ready. Yeah. And then I thought, nope, you are a leader in this conversation. That's right. And so I asked her what she meant. And she started with um, politics. And then she married politics with religion. Mm -hmm. And that's where it got interesting. Mm -hmm. Because if you are going to come into a conversation, as I welcomed her into a conversation, You have to be open to people asking questions about. And I tried my hardest Mm -hmm. to not ask questions in judgment. Oh, there were some folks who questioned and asked some hard questions, Mm -hmm. but not to ask in judgment. And that's the same approach that I take with leaders. I'm not going to ask you in judgment, but if I'm really curious, I'm going to ask questions. So how do you get there? So what's your rationale? So is that support for a person? Is that support for a party? Is that support for a movement? Or is that a core value of yours? Let me understand where you are. And I invited her to a conversation offline. Mm. And she was like, great. Oh, good. She she said great. But the first response, once I invited her privately, where there was no show, there Mm. was no audience. The first question was, well, what do we talk about? I said, I want to get to know you to understand your perspective. I don't care about your politics. Mm -hmm. I want to know you, someone who in this case said, I am a Christian. I want to understand your perspective 
so that I can understand how you make decisions and just know who you are. And it very quickly devolved into, I don't think that's a good idea. And I have access to information. And it, it, it shifted to a conversation where it felt like she continued to keep herself on this pedestal while viewing me as somewhere here. That's how it felt. Yeah. Now that's not how I perceived it because that's not the way I live. Mm-hmm. And once I realized that's where she was, I wished her well. I told her I'd pray for her and her family. Mm. And that more than anything, when we show up in spaces like that, where we show up in conversations, we if we show up only wanting to convince someone of the way that we believe, that's not a conversation. Yes. Well, as my, my favorite new phrase is, um, listening is not waiting for your turn to talk. Right. Exactly. And I had to say that to myself. Mm-hmm. Oh, I have some strong opinions around it, but mm-hmm. I had to back up and say, no, wait a minute. Suppose there's a perspective that this person has that I can learn from, or at least try to understand. I might not agree, mm-hmm. but how do I understand? Same thing when I'm sharing with leaders inside of organizations and they're talking about some of the conflicts that they have. And, and most of the time, if I am referred to an organization or if they call, it's because they're ready to have uncomfortable conversations. I generally am not going to get a referral around somebody who has to be pushed into it or is really resistant. If they show any indication that they're ready to at least have a conversation, they may never agree, but if they show any indication, that's typically the types of leaders that we serve. So we have conversations about the brilliant work of Isabel Wilkerson and the book cast. Mm -hmm and the roots of that book. We, we have conversations around uh, white fragility, or we have conversations around the book that was just released by Charles Blow called The Devil You Know. And we have conversations about why people in organizations, your team members, your employees, your co-leaders, your customers respond in a certain way when something happens that sparks controversy and conflict or when the terrorist event happens and what you as a leader might want to talk about inside of your organizations to reassure those who work with you and those you serve as customers that this is a safe environment, that we value you, we value your opinion. And regardless of what's going on there, that's not who we are here. Sometimes that's all it takes is to have that kind of statement, that have that kind of conversation. Well, yeah, I mean, I keep hearing repeatedly in my mind this, you know, um, there is uh, violence in the silence. And I really do yeah. believe that there, there needs to be a safe space, as you mentioned, for these types of conversations to happen. Because what I fear the most is that they're not happening. Right. That it only happens when something bad happens. It only happens after a terrorist attack, that it doesn't continue, that, you know, we've, we've had enough. Right. right? Yeah. We, we can't have enough of something that um, there's still so much work to be done. There's so, right. still so much um, educating that needs to happen in, in our own, even if you have a, a small business to a large business, 
these conversations need to happen. You know, um, you, you can relate it to, to our, our personal lives, the things that we allow to, that we push down, that we don't speak about, it, it becomes a sickness. And we've been able to watch years and years of oppression and injustice of people pushing all of these feelings and thoughts down, just erupt, just erupt. And now, you know, um, that things are beginning to settle a little, we can't stop having these conversations. Right. And they're, they are simmering. Yes. They appear to be settling, but they're simmering. And we know what happens with the simmer when it comes to a raging boil. I go back to the book cast, which I believe should be required reading for everyone, at least in this country. Mm. It is, um, it's compelling. It's uh, Isabel Wilkerson does an amazing job laying out history, research, facts, insights. It, it, it is probably a, a book that I've listened to on audio twice mm-hmm. and I've read once. Mm-hmm. And there's a piece of that book that stands out to me. And she talked about um, a, a recounting of someone or families who were living outside of the chambers, the gas chambers, the the torture chambers in Germany and how people were aware, but didn't really insert themselves into the conversation, the situation. It's not really affecting me. So why should I say anything mm-hmm. all the time pulling their children in when the ash ashes were raining down in their communities? Imagine that, Mm-mm. imagine that, that my children are playing outside and I am bringing them in because the ashes are raining in our community and I know what the ashes are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To me, that visual will never die for me, but neither will eight minutes and 46 seconds of a a man's knee on the neck of another human being while he died. I, I can't watch that video, but in organizations where we're not having conversations, we act like organizations are immune from what's going on in the rest of the world. Well, the organization might be a separate legal entity, but humans run the organization. Humans work in the organizations and humans are impacted by what's happening. Maybe not in the streets, but maybe in the hallways of the company. When I go into an organization, one of the first things I do when I get an invitation for conversation, is I go online and I want to look at the leadership. Mm-hmm. Yep. Who and sometimes is- it's really clear why there's a problem. Yeah, there's a problem. Yes. It's really clear why you make a statement 
and everybody around the boardroom table, virtual or physical, nods in agreement because they come from a different life experience than the bulk of the people or a significant percentage of the people who are working in the organization. So there is a lot to be said for opening yourself up, whether it's one-on-one or in groups and organizations, but opening up your mind to other perspectives, to having other conversations. And it's important when you look at differences, the representation of life experiences, education, family dynamics, ethnic groups. Uh, we often use the term race. Race is a, is a construct, it's a social construct. Um, and something that I think Isabel Wilkerson, she's not the first to do it, but there are lots of researchers who've talked about why it's um, important to have race viewed as this reality that segments us because it helps pit them versus us. But when you look at different ethnic groups and, and even within ethnic groups, different cultural experiences, why different mindsets, different thoughts, different age groups. I love being around young leaders. I love listening to what they think about differently. And I love listening to my wise elders. So having those differences, having a place where we all have an opportunity to contribute and to thrive, but also including others in conversations. And it's a reason why I hesitate anytime I hear a leader say that person is not a good fit. Hmm. I, I understand fundamentally what that might represent, but sometimes when we're looking for fit, we're looking for likeness. Mm-hmm. We're looking for homogeneity. Yeah. And those are the kinds of conversations that we have. I have discussions where I say to leaders, you use the word, I want to make sure I understand what that means. Right. And they've never been asked that question before, not out of judgment, but out of understanding. Yeah, we have to ask these questions if we're going to learn from each other. It's the truth, you know, and as, as tumultuous as um, this time in our world has been, I'm grateful for it. Yeah, I'm grateful to be able to um, to have these conversations before it's too late. To continue to um, to bring in other opinions. To bring uh, I don't even I would never want a world that looked the same as me or thought the same as me. And I I attribute not only my own thought process on how I was raised with you know, immigrant parents, um, I attribute a lot of it to my own um, addiction that I, I went through. And when I see a homeless person today, I can see myself in them. Right. You know, when, when you start to think about what somebody else must be going through that, you know, everybody that's called empathy. Right. And we can't have empathy for anybody if we're not hearing about what's going on inside of somebody that doesn't look like us, right? And if so we simple are subjugating their experience to ours, right? So it, your experience is not like mine, thus is less than mine, right. less valuable than mine. What we see showing up in organizations begins in homes. Mm-hmm. Yes, it does. <laughs> and 
it's our behaviors, our perspectives are learned and we have the capacity to change what was normalized and potentially dysfunctional in our upbringing. Yeah, we do. We have a great opportunity to make some change. We do. We really do. Every one of us. Every one of us, we all have a responsibility. So I hope that um, if you are looking to be a better leader today, that you will look into bringing Lafern into your organization to provide these trainings, to provide these conversations, to have a keynote speaker that is is well-versed and well-researched and has been a leader um, in my eyes for a long time. And I'm, I'm grateful to be able to call you my friend. And I thank you so much for being with me today. Oh, Sharon, it is my sincere honor and pleasure. Thank you so much. And you know, we look good in red. Uh, Well, if we don't think we do, no one else will. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. All right, my friend. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening. Don't forget to leave a review or share it with somebody you know and care about that would benefit from listening. But more importantly, if you are thinking about advertising your business in the year 2021, sponsoring a podcast is major. 44% of people pay more attention to advertising on podcasts than any other media. And 37% agree that advertising on a podcast is actually the best way to reach them. 70% have considered a new product or service after hearing an ad on a podcast. And I'm one of those people. And this is all according to Edison Research. Don't believe me, believe the research. So if you're interested in sponsoring, give us a shout.